What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jade Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Kana Supers family. Obviously, it is all-star break. The long stretch of torture has ended for for a few days at least, and uh, we're on a break. So I thought while we're on this break that we should probably get into some draft stuff. Most teams aren't thinking about the draft until a little bit later into the season, but unfortunately we are Timberwolves fans, and the draft is the next uh the next milestone i guess or at least the draft lottery as you know uh the the timberwolves only get to keep their pick if it's one two or three for the point of this episode we're gonna pretend like i guess they are going to keep it and we're gonna we're gonna talk about these our top three prospects uh like they're a chance to actually be on the timberwolves team and that lady luck isn't constantly pitted against us so to join me to do all that is uh, Kane Supers draft expert, hashtag basketball draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, what's going on, dude? Uh, it's going well. It's the best time of the year for Timberwolves basketball. Just a week without it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, unfortunately, this is where we're at this year. Not where we wanted to be, at least at this point of the season. But here we are. Yeah, it's... It's a nice little reprieve from getting blown out every night or from blowing a 15-point lead every night. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If you don't know, Tyler does awesome, awesome draft big boards, ridiculously detailed, 45 prospects um, over at Hashtag Basketball. And really, if you haven't read that before this episode, you should pause this right now and go and read it or at least read... You know your favorite players. You can go through the top. He's top forty-five, and really get a good sense of of each guy without, I guess, spending hours and hours watching those players. Uh, unfortunately, we are degenerates, so we have spent hours and hours watching those players. Um, and we're just going to go through our top three to, today, or at least our top three for the Timberwolves, um, and just get a get a better insight in that for for those of you who don't watch as much college basketball, and then I guess you know discuss how important it is for, for Minnesota to, to have some luck on draft on draft lottery night and, and keep this pick. So, obviously, Tyler, I think the, the logical place here to start is, is Cade Cunningham. He's, there's some competition, I guess, for the, for the number one pick, but he's still the number one prospect in this class and probably in the world right now. Elite blend of size at 6'8", 220 pounds playmaking ability, shot creation, finishing around the rim, pretty much the the ideal heliocentric offensive prospect for today's NBA. So let's start with the passing, which is probably his most appealing and unique trait. Uh, he's only averaging a touch under four assists a game at Oklahoma State this season. But what do you see from Cade that makes him such an awesome and I guess potentially generational passer for someone his size? And it... it- the whole game is just, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole game is just effortless <laughs> good, to him. Good start. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's just very simple, I and mean, he has the height to see over guys, I and mean, we're seeing that, how much of a factor that is with guys like Lamelo and Ben Simmons, and how it really just helps him see the entire floor, and he has that. So, I and mean, even if he was a couple inches shorter, his floor vision is impeccable, and he really sees every cut he knows where the ball should move before it gets to him um and he's always looking to get his guys involved early um a lot of his numbers or he may come across passive early in games and 
I don't think that's because he's, you know, a passive player. It's because he's looking to move the ball and looking to get his guys involved. And we see a lot of really flashy high-level passers who are out there and they, they can make the similar types of passes, but they're not always directly looking to get their guys going early because Cade knows that he can kind of get into his own rhythm whenever he wants to, whenever his team needs to, but he knows it's more important for him to get his teammates going, get them in that rhythm. And just that unselfishness, that feel for the game, um, just being able to go in and out of his own rhythm is really, really impressive. And a lot of the times with some of these young, you know, elite prospects, they don't always make their teammates better. And Cade's passing absolutely makes him better because if you're spotting up in the corner, he's going to put it right in your shooting pocket from the other side of the court. If you're a rim running big man, he's going to find you on the lob. If you're active off ball, he's going to find you on the cut. And the ball's always going to be exactly where it needs to be. His touch, his vision, the weight he puts on his passes, um, it you know, it's it's incredible. Yeah, the the point that you made, and I think the one that really stands out to me in terms of what's going to make him pop at the NBA level as a passer is the ability to to throw those live dribble cross court passes, um, especially when he's getting blitzed blitzed off a pick and roll in the NBA. Especially if he can prove to be a damaging scorer, guys are going to blitz you off the pick and roll just to get the ball out of your hands. Especially if he's on a team that's a pretty bad team. If he gets drafted by Minnesota or Detroit or one of these teams that are likely going to have a top three pick or a top one pick, uh, they blitz him off the pick and roll, and he can throw those live dribble cross-court passes and skip the the middle pass, pretty much just skip the middleman in general and just hit the corner guy in his shooting pocket. That is the most important pass in the NBA at the moment, it, and not a lot of people can do it, and especially not a lot of guys, you know, six foot eight can do it. So I think you mentioned it. That I think that's really a, a, an important skill, and then it's everything else that goes with it. It's not like that's his only passing skill. The live dribble, the live dribble, passes to roll man like just picking the ball up with that one hand even with his left hand and hitting the roll man in stride it's he's a crazy good passer man and if he didn't play for Oklahoma State and they didn't brick so many jumpers he would be averaging eight assists plus a game because you you mean you don't like that the rest of his team is shooting 31 percent from three (laughs) that's not a good number Man, the amount of passes I have it's clipped painful. on my com- on my computer that like are so nice, and then it hits like the side of the backboard from the corner, or like an air ball. Like there's that there's that one where he where as I was just discussing the where he gets blitzed on the pick and roll, he throws the cross court live dribble pass, and it literally miss this guy misses the ring from the corner by a meter. Like that's got to be deflating, and I think that's half the reason why he's been so aggressive as a scorer, probably more aggressive than I think that we'll see in the NBA level when he is surrounded by, by really good players. Cause he's more than willing to pass as much as he shoots or shoot as much as he, or shoot more than he passes. Like he, he really does have the feel for, for what he needs to do to win a game. And right now it's score the ball because no one else can really do it. And he's averaging 19.7 points a game. 45.5% from the field, 42.5% on 4.83 is a game, 84% from the line. I've been super impressed and a little bit surprised just 
after watching him at high school, how good of a scorer he is. Obviously, like the the book on him was that he could score the ball and he could pass even better. But he's been awesome as a scorer, really awesome. Uh, what do you think he still needs to work on to become that elite level NBA scorer? Um. Well, so his scoring game, it, it kind of reminds me of Kawhi Leonard in the sense where he's really patient, he's really strong on the ball, and he will just kind of patiently play with the defender until he gets to his spot. Um, and he, he can post up smaller guys. He's been solid from behind, behind the arc. Um, his mid-range game is really impressive with his you know crossover into a pull-up. Um, and... And he's done an excellent job of driving, stopping on a dime, shutting off the defender, and then just pulling up from 15 feet. So, I mean, the outside shooting needs to continue to improve. It's been a lot better than most people thought it was going to be this year. I mean, he's, I think you said 42%. Um, but j- just, I mean, that, that's really it. I mean, maybe a little better... Um, kind of shot selection and touch around the rim because he's not, you know, one of these explosive athletes that's going to sky over people. Um, so maybe I'd like to see just a little bit more of um, kind of like the the creativity and the adjustments that he makes in the mid-range when he's pulling up off the dribble and shedding that guy for a jumper. See a little more of that um, when he gets to the rim because right now a lot of it's just you know, going up and going through guys, you know, it's working because he's a strong dude. He's a big dude and he's getting to the line a bunch. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that he'll get all those, all of these calls that he's been getting uh, once he gets into the NBA. Or be able to finish over the rim protectors as much, as easily as he is. He's still going to be able to finish because he's just like a, he's just one of those guys who can put the ball in the bucket, but it's, you know, when you're facing Miles Turner, it's a bit different to facing. Yeah, you know, and, and to be like, clear, I mean, he's not bad around the basket. He's in the 88th yeah. percentile in points per possession around the basket. So, and he's <laughs> it's really good. It's just adding a little more creativity, a little flair, um, to really throw off the defenders to really make sure that that ball's getting over that weak side rotator. What do you think of his ability? Uh, he he's you know lack of burst relative to I guess. The, the really you know, explosive athletes in the NBA it is because he's he can manage he manages without it right like he's obviously he's very crafty I don't think his handle is advanced enough to where it kind of where he can really be that that awesome crafty guy like the Luke comparison is tossed around a lot for for Cade and I think it's it's apt to me in the fact that he isn't the fastest or the strongest guy, but he's fast enough and strong enough for those craftiness kind of skills to, to supplement, you know, his, his speed and strength. But I still think that he needs to improve his ball handling to get to that Luca kind of level because Luca has the ball on a string. Um, still 92nd percentile in isolations and 68th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler. But like, what, how much do you think the, the burst might, might limit him, especially early on? And I, I, I don't think it really will because I kind of, as I mentioned with that Kawhi comparison where he's just, whenever these smaller guards, you know, reach in, he just turns his shoulder and they bounce off of him. And then he just turns, turns or spins to the other shoulder, takes two dribbles, crosses back over, gets back to his spot and pulls up. So I, the, the 
the patience and the strength that he has, um, I, I think really kind of counterbalance his lack of that elite first step, that explosiveness that he just doesn't have right now. So I obviously it'd be great if he was this world-class athlete, um, but I just, it, it would not be great for the league <laughs> because he would average 40 and 10 a game. It, it, it would be unfair. Um, <laughs> it'd be, it'd be fun for the, for us fans, but I just the the way he he knows where he wants to get to and you can tell that as he's going through his dribble moves he's already planned out exactly how he's going to shed his defender whether it's going to be dropping the shoulder or you know a little hand hand in the back as he pulls up or a crossover into a spin into a hesitation and then drives past him for a scoop layup so I I, I think he he's already at that cerebral point where he knows exactly what he wants to do before he's getting the ball and where the defense is and how he's going to attack them so obviously that quick lightning first step would be awesome um but i i think that he's figured out already at such a young age um every other aspect of how to attack and kind of dismantle a defense that it it really isn't gonna matter he's got superstar feel Mm mm-hmm and that's something I just don't think you can teach or can improve. Like, you can obviously enhance your feel for the game as you get more reps in the NBA or get more reps against really good players, but I don't think you can ever just wake up one day with superstar feel for the game. And you're born with that, and I think Cade has that. And as you said, it's it's the ability to just think two steps ahead of everyone in every facet, whether it's, you know, he's already seen two passes ahead when he's when he's handling the ball, he already knows where he's going to go to shoot the ball because he knows how the, d- the defense is going to react to the first move he does. So he's already got he's already planning his third move to get to the ring. Uh, it's truly impressive to watch it. And I think if, you've, if you, and I'm sure you have, uh, if anyone else has watched the Mike Smith's um, film breakdown with Cade, uh, he just strikes me as someone who just knows the game so ridiculously well for someone his age. The, the way he spoke was just... Super impressive. I'm sure that when it comes to you know draft combine and, and interviews and stuff, he's gonna blow teams away with his uh, knowledge of the game and, and the way he speaks about it, just as much as what he actually does on on the damn court. Like it's it's pretty um pretty wild. It's there seems to be generational generational seems to be a word tossed around a lot because, you know, every two years there's a Zion or a Cade or an Anthony Davis, but, like, he does feel like someone who's who's generational. Uh, what do you think of the defense? I think if he can guard fours, that's how he fits on this Minnesota team without having to make that tough decision on D'Angelo Russell, but that's more of an, an iffy one than a, than a given. What do you think? Uh, and So, so I, I really like his defense. I know there have been some issues kind of lately with him being out of position, but when when your Oklahoma State plays this really weird kind of switchy zone, it's yeah. just a lot of chaos going on where guys are sprinting and recovering and rotating, and there's just a lot of chaos going on that's just... They're like, they're scrambling for entire positions. Yeah, for, for every 30 day, seconds game. every time. Yeah. It looks exhausting. Um, <laughs> so I when, when you play a scheme like that, with that switch-heavy zone... You know, there there are going to be a lot of mishaps and, you know, being out of position. But generally, I think he's a really good on-ball defender. I 
think he can guard one through four. I think he can. I mean, he's a, he's a smart off ball defender. Um, sometimes he's a little late with his rotations, but I, I think that's just something that will improve as he gets older. Um, and I, the offensive load that he's carrying for that team is, you know, 90% of what they have to do. So I, I think that, you know, he, he has to find at least uh, some points to, you know, coast. Um, not that he's not trying hard or whatever. I, poor, poor wording, but you get it. Um, so once that, you know, those that level of responsibility kind of levels out in the NBA... Um, I, I think his defense is going to just really really come through a lot more impressively than it has. Yeah, I I, I certainly agree. I think it's in a, in a way that's not as advanced, but you can he, that feel for the game kind of carries over to to defensive end. Like he just knows what to do all the time, and it's not he's not like Devin Vassell, say where Devin Vassell kind of knew what to do all the time and could execute it you know at the highest level all the time. But he knows. Cade knows enough of what to do where he's not a turnstile and you can't, you know, you can't force switches and pick on him because he, like, you won't score enough to win. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, I guess this is people listening to this show for, for the Wolves. I'm curious, obviously, it's hard. I think Cade is the player that you don't worry, you don't worry about fit with, with a Cade Cunningham. Like, you fit around him. He doesn't have to fit into you, but... What do you think, like, if Minnesota got the first pick, if tomorrow was draft night, what what's happening with this team when Cade Cunningham walks through the door? It's, I mean, he's automatic, or he's immediately the second best player on the team, um, and I'm figuring out how the team works around him and how Carl Anthony Towns fits into that. And that, it's not a stretch. To, it's not a stretch to think by like year two he's the best player on the team. That's no, how no, high I am. I, I think he definitely has more potential than Towns and what we know Towns is right now. Yeah, and and it wouldn't shock me if he's an All Star by his second or third year, um, by any means. I mean, he's going to put up the numbers. It's whether or not it's going to, you know, how good or bad is whatever team he's going to be. You know, what jump do they actually make? But yeah, I if the if he goes to if the Timberwolves somehow get lucky enough to to get this guy, I mean, it, it's his team. It's I'm focused on building around him. I want to build yeah. around him and Cat, but it, it's I, I'm building around Cade first. He's younger, he's less expensive, and I think his ceiling is at this point is probably way higher. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with D'Lo in this situation? Obviously, I think Cade is your point guard. Obviously, he's big enough to maybe guard fours on, on defense, but he's a one on offense, and I think it's malpractice if you use him any other way than as your you know 20 to 30% usage rate point guard, uh, which is pretty much D'Angelo Russell and obviously a much worse version if we're projecting into the future. Um, and then you have Malik Beasley and Anthony Edwards who... Uh, shy about getting their own shots up. So, what what do you do with all those ball handlers and and shot creators? You know, without kind of having too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. So I, initially, I I try and play D'Lo, and this is assuming I'm assu- I'm guessing no roster movement. Um, yeah. I you know I I try and play D'Lo and Cade together. Um, I think D'Lo's shown a little more 
effectiveness as an off-ball scorer than Cade has so far. Uh, Cade has been good at kind of screening, um, some occasional cutting, and I, he's a really good post-up player. So, um, you know, you can absolutely run sets to kind of force no size mis- mismatch there and then feed him the ball in the post. Um, you know, and Malik and Ant, it's kind of, you know, I, I think it just furthers the necessity for Ant to learn how to play off ball. Um, and yeah playoff ball by like cutting and moving and screening and not just standing in the corner and chucking up horrible threes um yeah because <laughs> i if you get you know if you get delo spotting up off of a cat Cade pick and roll and cat pops out and cutting from the weak side and that's a lot of size that's a lot of athleticism that's a lot of skill that defenses have to deal with so i it, it's fun in theory and chris finch is supposed to be this offensive innovator so hopefully and he's way smarter and knows way more basketball than i'll even ever forget so um or i miss opposite yeah, way flip, flip it, you got it um <laughs> off to a hot start here um but and i i don't worry about those other guys i worry about how this yeah, team moves exactly. forward with Cade. And if they can't figure out that they're not that league guy and that this is this should be his team, then, you know, that's on them. And, they, you know, I, I feel like Malik Beasley would absolutely feast as an, as an off-ball shooter with, with Cade running point. Yeah, I, I think, like, as you kind of alluded to there, you just get in, those other guys just have to get in where they fit in. Um I think obviously you need to continue to develop Ant, and we both have fairly high hopes for Ant. And and at some points this season he's been better than we thought he would, and some points he's been exactly who we thought he would in the first season. But like, yeah, they just like they have to learn to play around Cade, or you know, I guess you start looking at, at other options for players who can play around Cade because if you get him and you and you have Anthony Towns. That's that's your two guys right there. Then you just need to find guys who fit around those two. So it would be very interesting. I think there'd be times when there there wasn't enough ball to go around. There's probably one too many. Like if you're playing a lineup that's say, I'd say we're talking about like, you know putting these positions with who they're who they're guarding, not who they're playing offensively. But if you're running Russell, Beasley, Edwards, Cade, Towns. That's probably one too many guys who need the ball to be effective. Yeah, and uh, defensively it'll be a mess. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> that's better than and it definitely they're definitely winning more games than they did right now, and they they are definitely like I'd I'd be pretty surprised if that isn't one of the best offenses in the league just purely based on Towns and and Cunningham driving it. But you know, but that's that's what we have forward. I like, have to look forward to if Minnesota do happen to to pick up the first pitch yeah and, and, and just real quick point and when we say that you know it, it's Cade's team they gotta figure out how to play with him and not the other way around I don't want that to come across as Cade's a superstar prima donna like who's gonna stomp, oh, the, no, stomp no. through the door and be like this is my team now guys like get I think the F he'd out be of the way happy, he'd be happy to play you know as a third option right. more than i think the fans would be happy or us would be happy to watch him be a third option because he should right. be a second or first right. option. he's a super easy guy to play with super competitive like great leader all that kind of stuff so if if for some reason the listener in their mind got this and 
vision of this prima donna coming in and just taking over a team without winning anything that's not him at all yeah yeah um so so the next guy i want to focus on is obviously i think at this point the the consensus number two and i think uh it's a testament to how good evan mobley is to say that he still maybe has an outside chance of being the top pick over cunningham for for some teams and Cunningham, obviously, as we said, looks every bit a generational lead ball handler, big wing type of guy, which is the most valuable archetype in the league. <laughs> and Mobley still matches his, you know, him almost step for step in terms of talent and a like absurd uniqueness of a player. Obviously, Mobley's not a wing, seven foot, two hundred and ten pounds, seven foot five wingspan that honestly feels like another five inches on that when you're actually watching him out there kind of messing up shots for, uh, for you know, opposition and moving around the court like some sort of alien. Uh, 16 points a game, 8 rebounds, 2.5 blocks, 58.2% from the field, 30% from long range. Uh, Mobley's a unicorn, right? <laughs> like, not in the Porzingis, you know, throwing up half-court shots way, but, like, if it wasn't for Cade, he's a surefire number one pick in most classes, I think. And, like... The defense is a whole another kettle of fish, but like, let's start with the offense. Uh, what's so unique about him offensively? Just everything he does is just really just smooth and fluid, and it it just it feels natural that he's out on the basketball court. Um, and like you, you mentioned, his length and that his arms just go on forever, and he clearly knows that too, because just his release points on every shot are always in a spot where the defense has zero possibility of ever getting to it um he hasn't shown a whole lot of ability or willingness to shoot from outside yet um i think it'll eventually get there because i i do like his jumper i think it'll eventually translate um as he builds on and he's it. a very good face-up shooter yeah. as well like in the mid-range mm-hmm. very good face-up shooter which is always a you know pretty good sign that he can extend that out as his career progresses yeah and and just the the creativity and footwork that he has in the post and operating in the high post or mid post um he, he's just he's just really comfortable at getting his own shot and you know stepping through and extending for a scoop finish or faking to his left and turning back over his right shoulder for a hook um it it, it's just a really smooth comfortable um not not super flashy offensive game where he's gonna be dunking over dudes and he's an okay lob finisher um i worry a little bit about his strength and ability to move guys because i don't think he's going to be able to do that for the first couple years but i'm encouraged that he doesn't seem afraid of contact um so and it doesn't really affect him he's more than willing to go up through guys um and on every defensive rebound he's always looking for a guy and he puts a body on someone to box out so he absolutely needs to get stronger and he'll have trouble kind of really controlling that post area like a lot of big men like elite level big men in the nba do but his willingness to hit guys and you know him not being afraid of contact i think is really really encouraging yeah, I, I think I think we'll get to it in a minute, but I think most of his offensive deficiencies kind of stem from the strength issue, and which is both, I guess, worrying and then also 
encouraging because you know strength is one thing that you can almost guarantee you can increase as you get older and as you get into a, an NBA you know strength and conditioning program. The the thing that stands out the most to me, I, I completely agree on everything that you, that you said, especially his footwork. The the release point is just like twelve feet in the air at at any point. Those little like sweeping hook shots that he does where it's just like no one in the world will block that like Rudy Gobert on a trampoline won't block that like it's and it's so smooth looking he's got awesome touch on him as well like it's definitely not just a function of being tall he also he can kind of he's guiding them into the ring most of the time he's shooting them downward like that's how high he is above the ring like and but the, the most impressive thing for me is his ability to pass the ball like he I think that, you know, especially the, the flavor of the month right now, especially in a lot of my, you know, writing and podcasts is Chris Finch kind of utilizing Anthony Towns as a passer from the elbow and and the same way he did with Jokic, the same way he did with DeMarcus Cousins in, in uh, New Orleans. And that's like Evan Mobley is kind of like built in a lab to play that role. Like he's passing, he's quick decisions from the elbow. He finds the open guy immediately when the when the defense comes to double he 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 the same way as Kate he just can see that play unfolding before it's even unfolded he knows whoever comes and doubles him their guy's going to be open he he flings little you know scoop passes over to to other big men who are sitting in the dunker spot uh, to his brother sitting in the dunker spot for USC like it's it's his feel for the game and his ability to to make passing reads for a guy who's legitimately seven foot and and humongous um is just really that's what kind of you know makes me say the word unicorn because guys his size just don't do that like and not especially not at 19 years old and and still a freshman in in college uh and then the there's the ball handling i know I, i think there is i think he's definitely a guy who can attack closeouts he doesn't have the strength at the moment. He picks up his dribble quite early, I think, because he doesn't have the strength to kind of, you know, barge through guys. And even like you said, he will try it. But I think for the most part, when he does, uh, you know, get a pump fake on the perimeter and go around someone, he uh, he picks up his dribble, dribble pretty early and turns his back to the basket to try and go into like a, a turn a turnaround fadeaway kind of shot. Like that seems to be his default shot when someone's too big for him is to just go to that that turnaround baseline fade away out of the post which is looks pretty but it's probably not the shot that you want to be taking all the time but he can make passes out of those driving those driving kick kind of sequences and I just think that's another wild thing for a guy his size to be able to do and then get out and transition dribble the ball up off a rebound by himself like he's just insanely coordinated for a guy his size uh and that's we we haven't even mentioned the defense which we will get to but what what really worries you about the strengths because that is what i want to touch on i think a lot of things kind of stem from them strength issues that are really the only holes in his game yeah and it mainly on the defensive end um and he he'll early in his career he's going to get eaten alive by bigger guys and right now at usc he's getting you know Get guys who are smaller than him are pretty easily establishing deep position and holding it. Um, and he, he fights down there to, you know, try and front him or use his length to get around and contest. Um, but 
or early on he's gonna he's gonna really struggle to keep guys out of the paint and he's gonna block a, a good amount of shots he's gonna contest he's gonna you know make a difference with his verticality but bigger guys I, mean, I know like Embiid and Jokic can establish position wherever they want whenever they want but you know they're against Mobley early on they're gonna be able to just sit under the rim and just don't put put him through the hoop um so I, I worry how that kind of you know affects him mentally or long term and how he deals with it because you know when you see a stocky 6'9 kid from Utah putting him under the rim it's like well okay so how how are how are we going to do this in the NBA because that that's not a good sign and you know thinking back to like Cat's rookie year and first couple years he had that issue too because he just didn't have that lower body strength so guys were able to just really move him kind of effortlessly um and Mobley's you know those high hips those really long legs I worry about how much stronger I I obviously anticipate him to get stronger he's 19 everyone gets stronger after 19 um but I don't think he's gonna get that similar you know base that like guys like Embiid have um so I, I worry about how that's going to affect him just really being that rim controlling that post controlling center and deterrent that you know that you would expect from a guy going number two with his skills i think the the hope is and this is obviously a pretty wild comparison because you know but the hope is that he can be like a rudy gobert type i think where you never really uh wowed by his Physically, like, obviously, Gobert's a big dude, but he was also super skinny when he came into the league, and he's still not like broad as as the way that that Embiid is or Jokic, you know, or Miles Turner. Even like he's more of just a length deterrent and someone who has enough strength that he can at least battle those guys enough to to knock them off their spot just that bit and then block their shot when they put it up uh, with the long arms. I think that. Mobley has a chance to be that in that mold, if not, you know, the two going on probably three-time defensive player of the year. Um, but I also think that those issues are one of the reasons why I actually like his fit next to Towns because Towns is not the, not a perfect defender at all by any means. But I think if Minnesota were to draft Mobley, he would probably be the four on defense. Uh, and guarding fours, and therefore not, as you said, put getting put in the floor as much by those big dudes. I think you'd still have Towns guard Embiid, and you still have Towns guard Jokic, and then you have uh, Mobley as more of a a weak side guy and someone who's guarding stretch fours most of the time, and that's transitioning into the defense. Actually, first I just want to I just want to hit on that strength. One more thing is that on offense. As you said, as I said before, he gets into post ups too often. I think instead of trying being able to go through bigger guys, but he also the main thing I'm concerned about is he's not a very good screen setter. Um, he he slips out of screens really well, but he slips out of screens ninety five percent of almost every time. Like he doesn't, he rarely ever makes contact with his screens, and that has made life a little bit harder on the USC guards and. We see it right now, like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns has copped some criticism lately for his screening. Um, 
especially when you watch like an Ed Davis, you know, who was in there when Towns was hurt and Ed Davis could really set a pick. Like it's like screen setting is super important and you're not going to be able to just slip out of screens and, and get role man looks all the time in the NBA. Uh, the defense is just too advanced and, and, you know, guys are taking the roller at, with on, you know, on instinct more than they are in, at the college level. So that concerns me. And I, I don't think that it's, again, like I like the finishing the rim. I don't think it's a, an unwillingness to do it. I just think that he has never been strong enough to set these big screens. So he's just got accustomed to slipping out of them and using his athleticism and his catch radius. Like he can catch a ball anywhere within five feet of him. Like, I think he's just gotten used to being that big, tall dude who doesn't set hard screens. But at some point, he's going to need to to learn how to set a screen a bit better. Yeah, and it, I feel like he's never really been taught how to screen. Yeah. Because when you're that athletic and that skilled, why would any youth coach be like, hey, come out here and screen for this guy who has a fraction of your talent instead of, hey, go post up on the dude who's a foot shorter than you and we're just going to feed you. So I, I think it's more of an issue of him just never being taught how to or it really being emphasized um, in his game. You know, actually, right before we were doing this, I was going through the USC Stanford game and he he set a good screen and the ball handler came off of it and hit a pull up jumper. I was like, hey, look, that's Mobley's a decent Mobley screen. That's a, that's a rare sighting. And it's like, OK, so you can do this. And kind of going back to like that, his whole mentality with contact, I I don't think it's something where he's afraid for this guy to hit him. I I. I because he's making contact with guys in every other facet of the game. I really think it's just he's never been taught it. He's never been told to do it. So it, it is an issue if, you know, two years from now, you know, we're talking about the league and it's like Evan Mobley still can't set a screen. Then, okay, that's a legitimate issue. Um, but I, I think that's something where, you know, that, that that's a learnable skill that he can re- really – implement after you know a couple weeks in training camp it's funny because i was just sitting here as as you were saying that and i'm thinking for someone who's never watched him before we haven't really made that good of a case for him like he's (laughs) not strong he's not strong enough yet he doesn't really set good screens he can't shoot threes but then like if you're in that boat if you're listening right now and you're in that boat i just advise you to just even just go onto youtube and like type in Evan Mobley highlights. Like, it's hard to put into words without having seen it just how good he is, even though he he everything that he should be able to do or that bigs need to do almost in the NBA today, they aren't really his foremost talents. But then everything else, every intangible that you don't expect a big to do, he is a master at it. Like and that's what makes him so weirdly unique. And then all the big man skills that we've said he's not that good at are all, there's a baseline still there for him to become good at them. And if he does, he's going to be like a top three center in the NBA in five years. And I don't think that that's out of the question at all. I don't think a top one center is out of the question at all. I'm very high on Mobley. If it, as I said, if it wasn't for Kate, I'd have him won comfortably. And that for me is transitioning into the defense. That's why I'm so high on him. I know we talked about the strength again. It's it's hard to put into words, but like he just swallows dudes up out there all the time. His his lateral quickness, 
out on switches, his ability to to move from one block to the other as a rotation defender and get a and get a, a shot block. Um it's wild. Especially the lateral quick especially the ability to switch. I don't think it's not a guy who can hold his own in switches. I think it's closer to a Bam out of bio who can legitimately switch for entire games and win sixty percent of those switches. Like that's probably the most valuable thing a big man can do defensively right now. Do you agree with that or not? Um I don't think I'm at the point where I want him switching full-time. Um, I think periodic switches, uh, latent shot clock, stuff like that, switch and recover, um, I, I think he's more than capable with. Um, and I, I, I do think quicker guys will get by him pretty easily, but then his go-go gadget arms just really swallow up any layup attempts. Um, I, what I do love, I absolutely love his pick-and-roll defense. Um, his, his ability to the hard hedge to drop and recover. He's never out of position. Um, he's all, you know, if he's playing drop coverage, he's always even with the roller. So they're not getting that lob attempt and his length can then recover to the ball handler. If they pull up, um, if it's, you know, laying a shot clock or the primary defender couldn't get over the screen. He, like you said, he does have that ability to, to switch and really be disruptive with that length and, um that that agility because he he does have it um i just don't i personally i wouldn't want him switching everything right away i'd I'd like to call like him more to just kind of cause periodic chaos and then make sure that his length kind of retreats back to his man near the rim where he can you know really be that devastating weak side shot blocker that he is because his his rotations are really impressive um when he's coming from that weak side and he's he's a really patient shot blocker too, um, where he's not going out there and just leaping at everything. You see these athletic dudes just throwing shots into the tenth row, but it's like okay, well, the next time you do that, the guards just gonna throw it up even higher. You're gonna miss it, and then your guy just got an easy dunk. Um, he's not doing that. He's timing it. it it's it's really impressive. So that yeah. I- I don't think... I think you're right where... I mean, Bam is obviously a stretch. It's like all these comparisons that you make. And I don't... Not a big fan of comparisons, but I think I just use them as kind of a... Something to to give you a picture in your mind's eye of a, of a player who does these sort of things. And Bam, like the Gobert comparison, like the Luka comparison for Kate, they're all like almost unrealistic comparisons because these dudes are just like the best at what they do in, the, in these particular skill sets. But I just think that... His ability to move his feet, and maybe as much as it is impressive in the in switches, it's as you said, it's more impressive when they're running, you know, hard hedges or blitz coverage, and he can hedge and recover. Like he, the ability to hedge and recover reminds me of, you know, USC, another USC big man, uh, and Yeko Kongru last year, but to an even higher level where it's like he's probably quicker, he's definitely taller, and he's definitely longer. Like, and he still gets out there waves his arms around that kind of looked like big, wacky, wavy, inflatable arm tube man, um, and then gets back to his man on the roll and still, like, does it all within, you know, three, four seconds, and it's all done extremely crisply and, and executed brilliantly. Like, I just think that, as I said, it's hard to really put him into words, I think, without watching him. He's just a unique player and, and someone that I think 
has a chance to be a multi-time all-star. The the problem I guess I, I have with him is what like what usage can he have on offense that can make him a true superstar, I guess, and a true a guy who can really, you know, be worthy of the number one two pick, but worthy to be called a, a franchise, you know, carrying big man. Like I don't think he can ever ever average twenty five a game. Like it's um, obviously that's well, that's without you know we don't know what he's going to be as he projects every as he projects on as a as a you know grown up instead of a nineteen year old. But I don't know. I I, I don't see him as a Anthony Towns type of you know load bearing offensive center and even an Embiid or a Jokic. But I think he can impact the game enough where he's better than you know Towns eventually, or he's just a guy who's at you know a top twenty player in the league like. What do you, what kind of usage do you think he can carry going forward? And I, I would I, I think he could absolutely be like the second guy on on, on a real contender. Um un, until that outside shot really proves itself. Until that happens, I don't think he can be a primary offensive option, because uh, he doesn't have that strength uh to really dominate the post like Embiid does. Um but I know a lot of people keep throwing around like the passive tag on him, which I kind of get because some games his numbers are underwhelming. But I think a lot of that is because he's just always out there making the right decision every time. Yeah. If if a double comes, well, he's he's finding the cutter or the spot of guy, and he's not forcing shots. He's making the right read, and it's just a very cerebral game to him. So when you say that he's not going to put up a ton of numbers. I don't disagree. It's the impact. Disagree. It's right. the impact that he's going to have is going to be superstar impact rather than superstar box score. Right. Um. That it's it's like Nikola Jokic before this season. How many games does he had? Like, had he had a season where he scores eight points or he scores, you know, twelve points, but he has sixteen assists and Denver win by thirty. Like, yeah. That's. I don't think Mobley is that type of passer, but that's the same mentality. Whereas Jokic just makes the right play all the time. This season, Denver aren't as good around him, so that's why he's putting up 27 a game or whatever, because that's the right play now. Um, I do think Mobley has some of that in him, where it's like, like you said, it's more doing the right thing rather than being passive. It's, you know, if I can't score, someone else can. Someone else is open, let's move the ball, let's get a win, rather than, hey, I'm going to get 25 and I'm going to be the number one pick and, you know, I'm going to be Anthony Edwards. Right. Um, you know, that's it's a different mentality, I think, and that's not a knock on, on Ant because if you can go and be the number one pick and get paid $10 million a year if we're going to a school that's going to lose a couple of games, like, uh, I'm, I don't think that's a bad thing personally. But, um, yeah, Mobley, I think, is that is built a little bit different to that. Um, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. We'll do Jalen Suggs and then we'll talk a little bit about just how important... Uh, it, it's going to be for, for the draft balls to, to land in Minnesota's favour. All right, we are back, and I want to talk about Jalen Suggs. You have in your draft guide, again, hashtag basketball.com. Please go and check it out. It's it's a very good read, and, and especially if you have about 100 hours worth of reading time in your, in your mind to get through it all. But you had Jonathan Kaminga as your third pick, just as a in general, as a bit on a you know NBA level big board. Um, I 
I kind of flip flop between Suggs and Jalen Green, but we we both kind of agreed that from a Minnesota through a Minnesota lens, Jalen Suggs is the guy that we are gonna finish this podcast on, or at least the the deep dive into the players section of it. Um, tell me about Jalen Green. You are the draft expert. Uh, I, I want to know what what you see. Uh, sorry, tell, uh, about Jalen Suggs. There's too many Jalens, man, in this class. Especially right back to back. That's just rude of them. One of them yeah, needs to drop off and get better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jalen Jalen Suggs is who we're talking about. I mean, so I. He he's so much fun to watch. I mean, just his his passion, his competitiveness, just his personality reminds me a lot of like Donovan Mitchell or John Morant, where he could really be, you know, one of those culture changing guys for a franchise going early. Um, you know, selfishly, I kind of would have loved to see him at you know not a powerhouse of a program like Gonzaga to see like how he could really carry a team. Because I mean, they have three point guards that could easily start on any top twenty five team in the country, but the way he's he's taken that team from really good to like all time great. He he's he's a freak athlete, uh, really impressive passer. You know, can score in a variety of ways. Um, I, I like his defensive energy a lot. And I know his outside shooting has fallen off here recently, but I, I think it's good enough where teams will have to respect it and there isn't anything like inherently wrong with his mechanics. It can't be really tweaked or anything. Um, so I, I expect him to be, you know, at least a league average shooter. But really for him, what I'm so sold on is just his personality his work rate his work ethic that competitiveness where he just wants to go out there and kill you every game and he's gonna leave his body on the line every single game and he's one of those guys that if he you know a lot of teams at the top of the draft aka the Timberwolves uh have just a really bad culture around them and they don't know how to win they're not used to winning they don't have this winning mentality that's something that he will bring to whatever team takes him um immediately from day one that mentality raises a player's floor so much higher than almost any other skill i think because even you know even if he completely flops he's pat beverly (laughs) you know what i mean like even if he you know like just having that dog mentality and that guy who's going to go out and, as you said, kill you, rip your throat out, stomp on your face every night just to get, you know, an extra two points for your team. Like, that is... Uh, that's one of the, the best intangible skills you can have. And then with Suggs, it's supplemented by the fact that he has actual NBA-level skills. He's yeah. a good... He, I don't... I think the knock on him is and probably will continue to be what is he great at and is he you know i i, I did hear uh and maybe jonathan chark say it the other day on the on the on a ringer podcast that like is it is a top five pick too much for a superstar role player and i did find myself kind of agreeing with that but then like a superstar role player is it isn't a superstar role player you know virtually a star player or a very good player like right. it's it's a weird box to be in and not be just a very good player like i think jalen suggs is a really good fit on a timberwolves team that 
has all those cooks in the kitchen like we spoke about before because he's just so scalable to any situation. He can pass the ball. He can shoot it enough. He can definitely shoot it from within the arc. He, he's a really good finisher. Um, that competitiveness, he rebounds, he plays really good defense. Like He he might not do anything at the same level that Cade Cunningham passes or that Evan Mobley blocks shots or that Jalen Green dunks on dudes and you know finishes with that that explosive athleticism but like he he does all of those things really well and it's it reminds me a little bit of i guess Halliburton you know and maybe a little bit more enhanced version of of Halley like it's just someone those players usually seem to work out pretty damn well in the NBA yeah and just having that mental toughness is something that just you know, it's kind of like a conveyor belt at a factory. It's if you don't have it, you're just, you're out, like you're done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we see that from so many guys in the league who are just uber talented and they don't have that killer mindset. So they just kind of end Andrew up being, Wiggins. Okay, right. That's what I was just about to get to is like, <laughs> like imagine Andrew Wiggins with this dude's personality. Like it would be incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he'd be, you know, maybe Jalen Brown, but. <laughs> a kid can dream um so i if i i i love the fit for suggs in minnesota bring him home if he's you know if the timberwolves fall yeah. the, if the timberwolves fall the three um it, it just makes sense and i know there's gonna overlap with the guards but the wolves aren't in a position to draft based on fit you know it's who is the best player here because we suck and things need to change yeah. and we need to learn how to win and want to win and have that passion to win. And guys can say that in all their post-game interviews, but based on all of their play all season, they don't have it. He, Jalen Suggs brings that day in and day out every day he steps on the court. Um, so I, I think it, it's weird to say that a rookie will bring a sense of accountability to a group of veterans but he 100% will. Yeah, and even if it's not felt, you know, super impactful on day one, it's going to be felt by day 500, you know, in his second season. Like, that's the thing about these rookies, obviously, is you don't just get them for, for one season to be great rookies. And it's, you know, if you, if you have Jalen Suggs for six years under, you know, team-friendly deals, but at least five of those years, you're going to get a really good player, I think. And... And there's still a chance that you get an actual star, not a star in their role. He doesn't need to take too many steps in too many areas to be a dude who averages, you know, 18, 6, and 6 and plays, like, really, really good defense. Yeah. Well, and, and, and we and, saw it this year with him going to Gonzaga, who's a really veteran team and was a title contender before he ever signed any letter of intent. Um, and you can see how hard he plays for those guys, how hard they play for him, and that he's just already just like this natural leader. Um, and, I, you know, I, I know fans want more than, oh, just intangible impact, and it's like, what does he do on the court? It's all that carries over, all of that raises guys' games, um, and, and he's really freaking talented too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the thing I think with him is that he, the thing with Gonzaga is that he, they don't take one and done prospects. Like they don't, they don't take highly recruited guys because they really have a, a system and a culture that's built to bring guys up, you know, and by their 
sophomore, junior, or senior year, they're really high-level contributors. Corey Kispert is a perfect example of who's been building to this, you know... Love Corey Kispert. Yeah, like, he's one of the best players in the country right now, college players in the country, and probably a, f- a first-round pick. Uh, that's the guys that they usually take. Um, and by them signing Suggs, that, that's a good enough indication that of like the mentality that he brings and the winning basketball mentality because they don't want to, you know, lose in the first round of the tournament with a bunch of one-and-dones and, you know, have have headlines about their players and how good they're going to be in the NBA. They want to win the national championship, whether it's with guys who are going to the NBA or not. And the fact that they were confident enough to, to bring Jalen Suggs in, give him the ball and let him be a part of that team, a team that is one of the best college teams ever, uh, and and probably gonna win the the national championship. That that speaks volumes, I think, for his mentality and the the winning aspect of basketball that he brings. And like you said, it's people want to hear more than intangibles. But he can do he does things on the court. He's not Pat Beverly. Like he can shoot the ball off the dribble. He can he can dunk on dudes. He can get to the rim. Like he's shooting well over fifty percent on two pointers. He he's a good player, man. Yeah, I don't know he, how he's to a he's a really impressive playmaker too. He's not to the level yeah. of Cade, um, but but he's he's a really dynamic passer, um, especially off the dribble when he's attacking the rim. Yeah, um, Suggs so is going to be a really good player, man. He might. I think the the great thing about this draft class and maybe scary thing as someone who's a Timberwolves fan is I think that. These three guys, especially, I'm be very surprised if they're not good players in yeah, the NBA. Hundred percent. Kaminga and Green, I think, can, could maybe go either way. Like I could see them fizzling out or becoming, you know, better than Suggs or better than Mobley. Like those two have a bunch of potential, but yeah, these I, three I think guys, those two have a higher ceiling. Um, yeah, but I think Suggs' floor is much higher. Very high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's these three guys are really almost as locked as you can get for what is still a crapshoot, you know, uh, to be very productive NBA players. And I think that brings me, I guess, to the last point of the, the episode is that I just want to ask you how how important is it that these damn lottery balls fall the way of Minnesota? Well, and the Timberwolves have moved up in the lottery once. once in the history of the franchise and they've been in the lottery a lot in the history of the franchise <laughs> and that was last year um and it, it's it, it it could really make or break the next f- five to ten years i know that's being dramatic and it's really not but, though it's, i don't think it's dramatic at all I, I honestly think there's nothing there's not one thing that minnesota Jason roses glenn taylor chris finch could do that is more impactful than getting one of these top three picks, and specifically the number one pick. Yeah, like, and I, that Kate is—he's a franchise-changing guy, and t- to miss out on that, and then end up with bringing back the same, same or similar roster with no infusion of life or energy or hope, and then being good enough where we end up with the seventh or eighth pick next year, and it's just you know, that treadmill of mediocrity, it's, it's disheartening. And so it's so kind of ending on a dour note after <laughs> hyping up three teenagers for an hour. Um, but and it's incredibly important. And if, 
you know, I, I, I as the season has progressed, I, I keep going back to that line from one of your earlier podcasts with Kyle Tige about how how just excited he was for this season and how he just didn't give a damn about the 2021 draft. And I'm like, I kind of care a lot about the 2021 <laughs> draft, man. It's like that this is really important. And if if this doesn't go the way that it easily and you know based on the odds likely won't go it's gonna be a long couple years yeah it's it was pretty easy to to only be excited about this season and not the the draft when we'd had nine months off and and the team won their first two games but now that they've lost the five out of their next 20 uh, by their (laughs) next 30 33 or something like it's 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 all I can focus on at this point. Like, obviously, I can focus on every game. I love watching the Timberwolves just in in an you know analyst we'll, kind of. We'll continue viewpoint. to be so. Yeah, like we are deranged, but like, it's this is the thing that we have to look forward to. There isn't there isn't another thing that can that can make this team much better unless they pull off some sort of you know miracle trade at the trade deadline that's even less likely than getting a top three pick. Um, this is the next big thing for the Timberwolves. History shows that Lady Luck will smite us at any chance she gets. Um, but I, I, I'll, I will be watching on draft night with the most intent eye that I think I ever have for a Timberwolves. If if they get the number one pick, I, I people I guess that aren't kind of on our same level of, of excitement for this class will think that I'm being dramatic here, but if they got the number one pick, I think it would be one of the best moments in the franchise's history. And that's saying something in multiple different ways that how bad the franchise is and how good Kate Cunningham is. So it's, it's going to be a good draft night or a really bloody bad draft night. As long as someone that, you know, as long as another Western conference team, I don't want someone in the, their division to get Kate Cunningham. I don't want to play him every four times every season. I can't deal with it. And it'll be fitting. I mean, the the <laughs> the Wolves will end up with pick four, and 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 then Cade will stay in the Western Conference, and then Golden State will get Jalen Suggs, and they'll win the championship with playback as well. Right, and Jalen Suggs will drop fifty every time he returns to <laughs> Minneapolis and it'll just be the, the endless circle of torment for Timberwolves Nation. That still might and that still might be better than this and, season. And I'll have a five hundred game or five hundred word recap coming out right after it. So I'm, I'm, I'm a lunatic. Oh, uh, that was a depressing note to end the show on. <laughs> But um, I think in general, it's just it, it is good to try and get a little bit of a primer on these yeah. guys. It, it, there's still plenty of Timberwolves basketball to analyze and, and and stuff that we hope changes coming out of the All Star break with the new coach and the hopefully uh, you know a few more things installed or uninstalled as as he said. Um, but right now, it's it's the draft's still still very important and hopefully um. Hopefully we can have at least some sort of excitement going into it and, until we know for sure that they're not going to keep this pick. Absolutely. Um, as usual, thank you very much for coming on, Tyler. As I've said multiple times, please go and check out his uh, draft guide over at Hashtag Basketball and anything that he writes on Canis as well. I can't I can't sit here and not promote the, the Canis family. Um, 
But yeah, you're a legend, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.